I don't know if I can speak after that. Actually, quite emotional thinking about uh, the change that God brings to the lives of people. Friends, uh, we have the great privilege of sharing God's love and God's message with others. And uh, one of the opportunities you will get is to tell your story. Let me say, if you're not yet a Christian and you're gathered here this morning, and uh, the message of Christ is a life of transformation, a life of meaning and purpose and acceptance, if you saw those various words there, uh, valuable. And, but it is our desire that uh, as we reflect on how God has saved us, where he's taken us from, to a new place of value and forgiveness and fellowship with God, that others too would know this. And uh, I want you to think today, if someone were to ask you this question, it could be anywhere, wow, I didn't know you were religious, or they might say, or I didn't know that you were a Christian, or how did that happen, or why are you a Christian? That you would have something to say, that you would be able to naturally... Uh, not in a forced way, naturally, with grace, articulate your story in a way that connects with the person who asks you that question. Because it might come at work, it might come at the chiropractor. I remember the chiropractor used to work on my back and snap you and then ask you questions about Jesus, right? Uh, you never know where the question's going to come, or at the pizza shop, at the mechanic, with your sports mates, maybe at the football match, at university or maybe on a netball court at a school playground waiting to pick up your children, or at the hotel you're staying at, maybe on an aeroplane where you're just talking to the person next to you. I've had those conversations at a youth group or a kids club. And people may not want to know about Jesus, but they may want to know your personal story. And last week we were challenged to pray and to ask God to open up doors for the gospel. And I love this verse from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. It pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. Paul says, don't just pray that the, the, the message of the Lord will spread slowly. Pray that it would spread rapidly and be honoured. People would see the greatness of the gospel and honour Christ for the gospel rather than reject Christ for it. And we're praying that it spreads, that it is honoured. Another way of translating this verse is pray that the message of the Lord may run and triumph. And the pictures of an amphitheatre where people, runners are running and you're watching the runners. And in a sense, you're picturing the gospel running and it's at the front of the line and it's running and it's running and people are cheering on the gospel as it spreads everywhere and people say, yes, yes, run, 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 gospel. It's good news, it's hope, we're with you. The gospel runs and it triumphs because people see its beauty. And you and I know that in Australia many people are not seeing the beauty of the gospel. But we are praying that that will take place. And so uh, focusing on knowing your story today, and I've asked a couple of people to share their testimonies afterwards as well, and um, we're going to go to Acts 25 and 26, and I talk about three handles to the story, and we're going to hear how Paul tells his story in Acts 26. He shares, his, uh, shares it with Festus, the Roman governor of the region, and the Jewish king Agrippa II in the first century. 
Paul has been under arrest. He's in court, thrown in and out of jail. And they're trying to work out why the Jewish people don't like him. And the authorities think, well, he's done nothing wrong. Why is he even before us? And if Paul had not appealed to Caesar, they would have set him free. But the Jews are after him. They want to kill him. And so we get to the situation where Festus doesn't know what to do. He's a Roman governor. He says, there's no reason to uh, have him in jail. And so he asked for King Agrippa's advice. And then Paul tells his story. And this is effectively the Bible reading with a few comments from me this morning. The handle one before Christ. Effectively, he says, as a summary, I did all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. So he tells his pre-conversion story. Then uh, Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so, listen to what he said, because you are so well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you, listen to me patiently. He's warm, he's positive, he's respectful. He seeks to win the person that he's sharing the gospel with. It's not abrasive, it's not aggressive, it's not, oh, I've got to tell him what the truth is. So he's not going to a fight, but he wins. He's winsome in his communication. It's just the Jewish people all know the way I lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living like a Pharisee. Man, I'm, I'm the best example of you guys. I'm one of you. I was part of you. We understand each other. See, again, he's always making connections. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I'm trial to, on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. See, again, he's connecting. This is our people. This is our message. This is our scriptures, guys. Hey, we're in the same team. And then King Agrippa, it is because of this hope. I can see Paul saying, King Agrippa, it's because of this hope <laughs> that they're accusing me. Why should any... Of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead. He identifies himself as a serious, committed religious guy. He's one of them. He's a Pharisee. And he links his hope to the Old Testament scriptures, what they had in common. And what's important is you're dealing with people to identify with people. If you've grown up with someone in the same place, you're studying the same course, maybe your same background, you work on what you have in common. And I love how he neatly drops in the resurrection. You need to neatly drop in messages of the cross, the resurrection, uh, the love of Jesus in your testimony. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? And then he says, in fact, I was so on your side that I persecuted Jesus's, Jesus and his followers. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose, oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from synagogue to, uh, to another to have them punished and tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. This is pre-conversion life. 
identifying with the people, and that he was like them, and because uh, he's going to take them to the point of change and transformation. So partly you've told your testimony, describe what you are like beforehand, what are the things that drove you, what was your passion, what were your insecurities, you work on that. And then having done that, he comes to the, uh, what we might call the aha moments. Oh, <laughs> Jesus that I was persecuting is truly the son of God. And he now moves on. We call it the handle, the second handle, when he met Christ. Because somebody, as well as your background, they, people want to know, well, what was it that brought you to that point of conversion? Did someone tell you about Jesus? Did you see a miracle? What was it? For Paul, he had a, a dramatic encounter with Christ. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven and I heard a voice. Now, most of your testimonies will not be like this, right? But this is Paul's story. On one of those journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, notice how he brings his name in? He engages with him. He doesn't say, he just, using people's names is really important in building relationships, right? It's not just a trick, right? <laughs> People like to be valued and articulating someone's name, using someone's name, says that you value them. Not, they're not just a person, they're not just a number. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now a goad, I had to look it up. It's, it's a stick used to prod a stubborn ox, right? And uh, the way you, you guide this ox, you, you stick the pointy bit in to move, get it to move, and it says, why are, you, why are you kicking against the goads? God's, I'm directing you, kicking against me. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up, stand up on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. He receives a revelation and a calling. He has been persecuting Jesus by persecuting Jesus' people. He realises that Jesus is truly God's son and saviour. He's had an encounter with God. And some of you need to articulate what it was that help you to cross the line from unbelief to faith. And I love how we then, speaking to this group, tells them a little bit about the hope. There's forgiveness, there's belonging to all those who turn from darkness to light, implying you've got to go from your old way of life to a new life. You, you turn to Jesus from Satan to God. And it's a call to repentance and faith, even as he shares his testimony here. And then the third handle is after Christ. So then I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. I was like this, I had an encounter with Jesus that transformed everything for me, I now have a relationship with God, and I'm now on a mission for God, from God, for him. And he followed it through. His life was radically changed. His life moved in a whole new direction. And friends, when you follow Jesus, everything changes. Because the gospel ensures that you put Christ first in your life. You live to glorify him and you may give up certain parts of your life and God takes you in a new direction. So then King Agrippa, I have, was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. 
first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. Again, he links them up, links them to the Old Testament. That the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Again, in explaining his mission, why God has led him, he's explaining the gospel and he's testifying to the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he doesn't finish it there. He has a concluding question. He's quite brave, isn't he? Do you believe the prophets? At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Paul's engaging them, the guy shouts at him. Sometimes you'll get shouted at, by the way, when you're sharing your story. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. He doesn't call him, you radical Festus, most excellent Festus. He's still calm. He's still controlled. Respectful. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice. Now, Festus thinks he's nuts, but he's trying to win King Agrippa the Jew over. King is familiar, this king. He's familiar with these things. And I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. King Agrippa knows what he's getting up to. He's trying to get elicit a response. Are you with me? Do you believe me? Do you know what's in, in the prophets? King Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Hey, he's caught on, right? <laughs> in one sense, when you share the gospel with people, they ought to be thinking that. You're trying to convince them to become a Christian? Of course I am. What better thing would be... To... What better thing can I offer you than to know Jesus and love and forgiveness and acceptance and live for eternity with God? Why wouldn't I want to tell you that? Paul replied, short term, short time or long, I pray that God, not, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. I love the story. It's a good story, isn't it? There's a lot to learn from how he shares the gospel. I wanted to uh, now take you on to uh, another testimony by Sam Chan, Asian-Australian Sam Chan. I heard him speak at a conference yesterday as well. And he wrote a book, How to Talk About Jesus. And he is saying to us, then we're sharing our, uh, our testimony, I need to keep in mind that many of the testimonies might be, I grew up in a Christian family, and then I heard about Jesus at Sunday school, and I became a Christian, and Jesus, I follow Jesus now. And some of you say, well, I've got nothing to say. That's my story. Is it that doesn't have to be your story. It's how you tell your stories makes the difference. And he uses a slightly different angle, and feel free to pick up one of these books. Many of you picked them up last year. But he writes it this way, a little bit like those cardboard testimonies. Most of those people grew up in Christian families. Some didn't. But they talk about insecurity or trying to please God or, or other people. And we ask you to think, what is it? 
that you were like? What's the thing that drives you? What is it that God has changed in your life? And this is how he puts it as an illustration. I'm a first-born Asian son who is a high achiever. My mission in life was to study hard and become a doctor. If I could become a doctor, it would give me status, self-worth and security. For example, in, in elementary school, I always asked my teacher for more work. Yes, I was that annoying kid in my old class. So I tried my mission, uh, to achieve my mission by getting good grades. For example, in high school, while my friends were partying, I was busy studying. But the problem with being a high achiever is that, that it makes you proud and insecure at the same time. You need more and more achievements to be somebody in your own eyes. For example, I was once a doctor. It wasn't enough for my self-worth. I also had to become a surgeon to be somebody in the medical community and in my own eyes. But this is where he turns now. But Jesus came to give me all the status, self-worth and security I needed. I'd grown up in a Christian family, so he brings in the Christian family later in the story. And I'd known Jesus all my life, but I don't think I fully understood this until someone helped me read the Bible and showed me the bit where Jesus is perfect, so I don't have to be perfect. God loves me just the way I am because of what Jesus has done. I didn't need to be a doctor with qualifications to earn God's love. That's when I decided I didn't need to chase achievements to be secure. I didn't have to be proud of what I'd done and yet insecure that I hadn't done enough. Instead, if I had Jesus, I could be humble and secure. Humble because it's Jesus who is perfect, not me. Secure because my status were found in Jesus, not me. So, as he shares this story with his friends, I no longer chase achievements to be somebody. For example, a few years ago, I had to decide if I wanted to remain in full-time medicine. In the past, I needed to be a doctor to feel important. People at parties want to talk to you and bank managers want to lend you money. <laughs> but I was able to leave full-time medicine because it no longer mattered what others thought of me. I was important in God's eyes. Jesus is perfect, so I don't have to be perfect to be somebody in God's eyes. Think through how you might tell your story. I want to invite uh, Miriam, if you come forward and share your story. And after Miriam shares her story, Sammy's going to share his story as examples of God's work. Now, I wish I had read Sam Chan's book. I actually grew up with Sam Chan. Been, I would have changed my... My story begins with, good morning, I grew up in a Christian family. So, <laughs> so <laughs> this is the imperfect version. I would have changed now that I should have read that book. Anyway, good morning. My name's Miriam, um, and apologies for reading this. My uh, memory isn't the best because of my health. Um, my name is Miriam, and I grew up in a Christian family. <laughs> Going to church was the norm. I didn't always enjoy church, but at the age of eight, when I went to a camp run by WEC Missionary Group, where I first really understood the amazing God, gift God had given me in loving me and dying for me, um, I, at that time, I realised I had nothing I could give to say thank you to him except uh, my life. So I gave my life and heart to him. I still clearly remember sitting in a tiny little circle on the floor of this small cabin, um, praying to God with some other kids and leaders around me and inviting Jesus into my heart for the very first time. I continued to go to those camps I loved year after year and grew in my understanding of God and the Bible. I continued to go to church with my family, but to be truthful, um, 
sorry to say, I really didn't like going most of the time. And even though it was a good church, clearly Sam came out of there, and I was learning a lot, of, a lot and didn't realise, I finished... Um, I didn't realise. I finished school and I realised I no longer had to go to church with my family as they couldn't make me. So I stopped going. Nothing dramatic happened at that stage. I didn't suddenly start doing crazy things or living differently than I had. Um, But doubt had began creeping in. And at that time I was studying and there was a lot of people around me who gave uh, me a hard time about believing in God. I must have spoken about it, otherwise how would they have known? I had so many questions, and at that time I had no idea how many answers there were to all my questions. But these doubts and worries made me fall farther and farther away from God. But God had other plans and rescued me once again. I had a good friend who was planning on applying to be a youth pastor at Caringbar Baptist Church, and I was the only person he knew who lived in the Sutherland Shire, so he asked me to come along. So I did, and they, sh- and they showed me God's love and community like I'd never felt in such a long, long time. And at the time, it was only a small, tiny, tiny church, but their love for God made it such an impact on me. And for some reason, I kept returning week after week. I began to hear God's words spoken powerfully and clearly. Again, and God began to stir in my heart and speak to me. I remember one day at TAFE, I was sitting on the curb after a heavy discussion with one of the, with one of the students who had challenged me um, about my beliefs. And I was feeling very, very down. I remember also having a sense of anger about the way they constantly tried to shape me to be the same as them, to conform to their way of living, to swear, to go drink at the pub at lunchtime, to smoke, to sleep around. None of these things interested me, and I felt resentment and and really hurt at the badgering and how mean they were to me. I started to think about what on earth was life about, and why are we here, and what do people, why do people live the way that they do, and why do they drink, why do they think it's good to smoke and drink, and why do I need to do that to be accepted? Why did, I, why did I choose to live the way I did, even though I wouldn't have said I was a Christian at that time? I realised I, I did believe in God, and I probably would have retaliated against them and responded with so much more anger and hurt than I did. Um, I realised that I did, not know, I did know God, and that even, even though at times I resented that realisation, and that there was a, that there was a point of, and why, of, of the way that I was living. It was God's best way of living, the wisest way, way of living and loving people, even in that circumstance. At that point, sitting on the curb in the middle of Cogra, I talked to, I talked to God, just alone on a random street, and prayed and recommitted my life to God and started listening to him again. God opened my eyes and heart to, to the wisdom of his way of living provides. His direction, his purpose and he, that he gives to my life is incredible and the joy and forgiveness is like nothing I can compare it to. I went from feeling bitter and weighed down by all the things that had gone wrong, remembering all the negative things that anyone had ever said or done to me and by the sin that was in my life, to being freed of all that. I could no longer recall the pain and hurt like I previously felt. It was like he gave me back joy and freedom to to live unburdened by the past pains and problems. It was like my brain had been rebooted. It was like I'd been given a second chance at living life in a better way to forgive and be forgiven. Five and a half years later, lots of growth has happened, and I am so thankful to the pastors, Jono and Andrew, who spoke God's truth into my life with such grace and patience. I had the opportunity to lead youth group, to be involved in Bible studies, singing services, helping the sports centre there, and the, and the art projects around the church, all of which God taught me so much through. I finished my studies at uni and graduated as an art teacher, and I was doing my last prac placement at Meriden School, 
when the chaplain must have seen a spark of enthusiasm in me and asked me to apply for a new role as the youth worker assistant chaplain he had just gotten approved, approved in the school to teach Christian education and to start, start up Bible studies. I had no idea what that role would involve, but I applied. And 10 years later, I, had the, I just had the best job I could ever ask for in the world. Teaching kids about God, God worked through me to see incredible and tangible growth in a very short time. I got to run Bible studies for 150 kids at lunchtimes, coordinate a yearly camp for them with Trinity School, and getting, in, getting to talk about Jesus every day. I learned so much through teaching others and about, about him, and I was, it was like God had wired me for this job, um, and I was effective at his work. I am not particularly gifted in speaking, as you can see, not particularly smart or convincing, but I had a willing heart and enthusiasm, and God had given me a ton of truth and knowledge from the church I grew up in, and I'm so thankful for that foundation he gave me. It was incredible seeing God's work in changing hundreds of girls' hearts as they come to school from all different backgrounds and belief systems and give their life to Jesus. Since then, I have had some significant health challenges, um, so now every day I look to God to use me in different ways. In random conversations in my community, I'm much better talking one-on-one than up here, <laughs> in welcoming newcomers here at church by sending messages to people to let them know I'm thinking of them. Life sure isn't smooth sailing, but God gives me perspective about the hurdles I face each day. He provides focus and a purpose to each day without, that without, my life would sure feel very empty, even though I have a lovely family and many blessings. I get to share my life with whoever I bump into. I look for opportunities in every conversation to understand them in order to love them and share life with them, to have the opportunity to share the amazing direction, forgiveness, purpose and love that God can bring into their lives. And I, I think it's important that Miriam shares her story in that way, and I, I didn't make a change in any of that, even though I was trying to get a, a certain model, because the truth is, you think of how many people, kids have grown up in church, when their parents stopped forcing them to come, stop coming, have gone through those same struggles. And when you're out there, you'd be amazed, I found amazed, how many people have had church background? Oh, yeah, I used to go to church, and this happened to me. And so... That identification, you can identify with people like that in that story. And, and our lives are, even though we talk about the three handles, it's not, life is not that simple, is it? Uh, that we go through different stages. And, and what God has taken us through will often give us opportunities to connect with different types of people and share Christ. So thanks for sharing that. Sammy. Well, good morning, everybody. I hate to disappoint you, but I was born into a Coptic Orthodox family. Uh, I feel like I have to change that for you this morning, um, in Egypt, and uh, grew up there for a couple of years, moved to Ethiopia for a couple of years, and Kenya for six years before coming to Australia. And I was your perfect child nerd. Like, I'm looking at Dad, I'm sure he'd disagree, but I was pretty close. Um, you know, I was always eager to do good. I really wanted to tick the box all the time. In fact, I wanted to go well and beyond that. Uh, you know, I grew up um, begging mum and dad to go to parent-teacher interviews, you know. Uh, I'd wear a tie to school. Was there a school tie? No, there wasn't a school tie. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoy that. And in fact, even in the Coptic Orthodox tradition, which we were part of for a long time, I remember even in, in, in Kenya, standing there as a, as a little deacon holding the, the candle and watching the, max, uh, the wax kind of melt away uh, and, and standing there for hours on end and hiding behind the the pulpit, the altar area, and then looking to burn each other's hair with the candles. 
and burn each other with the wax, etc. You know, for most of the time, I just really tried to do good, and I was anxious to do good. And I'd heard a lot about God and Christianity and the Bible, but a lot of it was just tradition. A lot of it was just talk. A lot of it, frankly, was just academic. I could give you the answers, but I really didn't believe it. And partway through our time in Kenya, one of my uncles had passed away, Dad's brother, and that, that shook our family. Um, we didn't have any family in Kenya. We didn't have any family in Ethiopia. And so we're really part of the expat Egyptian communities that were there. And so Dad looked for solace. Dad looked for solace at, at church, and he said, look, um, guys, we're going to go to a different church, another NBC, Nari Baptist Church at the time, and we're going to read the Bible for ourselves. And we're going to have a, a personal relationship with God. And, and so we moved. We moved churches, um, I think at great cost to mum and dad, because we we're kind of removing ourselves from that society, from that culture, from that religious affiliation. And even then, I was going through the academic exercise. It was easy to give the answers. Did I really believe it? No. Was it a bit more fun, I confess, at the Baptist church? Yeah, it probably was a bit more fun. But did I really believe it? Probably not. And then we came to Kenya in 94. And shortly after that, in 97, my mum was diagnosed with cancer. And that shook our family. Like at that point in time, no matter how good I was, it didn't actually matter. No matter how, how much I tried with the tie, with getting mum and dad to parent-teacher interviews, with giving all the right answers and all the rest of it, it actually didn't matter. It didn't matter in my case. It mattered because my mum, I thought back then, and I th still think now, was such an honourable, loving, God-fearing person. How dare he do that to her? So I, I, I struggled through that period. I struggled through that period because I thought, frankly speaking, there was a, a, maybe an all-powerful God, but who lacked mercy, or there was, a, there, was a, there, was a, there was no God, or there was a God perhaps who was not all-powerful and had plenty of mercy. What God was that? That was no God. And so I was very frustrated and angry through that period, and watching mum and dad suffer through that period was particularly difficult. But it was in that period that I actually looked and investigated Christianity for myself. It wasn't just an academic exercise anymore. It couldn't be, because I'd had enough of that by that point. No matter of doing good actually mattered at that point. And to see the love of Christ in action through my own parents' faith, through that difficult period, through the faith of, and, and the perseverance and the sacrificial nature of this church, we're only here two years by that point. And people were dropping off food hampers and, and helping out at home and, and ferrying mum to and from chemo and radio and all the rest of it. What love is this? And it shook me and it changed me because it allowed me to investigate Christianity for myself, not just in an academic way, believe me. The academics actually, frankly, fell to the side for that period. It was a real and a personal relationship with Christ. And so I became a believer. I accepted Christ in my heart and it changed me. I wasn't that kind of, well, I still have the super nerd peace in me still. But that's, that peace falls away because of the grace and love and forgiveness that he has. And mum, by the way, passed away a couple of years ago very, very suddenly, and that shook our family again. And to be able to say at her funeral, and I hope in my own life, with the absolute conviction and with absolute comfort, that because she was a believer, she is with Christ, is incredible, in incredible. It provides us with deep and enduring comfort. And it's transformed our lives. And I mean that very sincerely. It's not an academic exercise at that point. It's not just a head knowledge. It's something you live and you breathe. And with God's um, graciousness and his love for us, our lives have been transformed. We're transformed because 
We're not driven by doing what is good. We're doing by, driven by what God wants us to do. We're driven by God's love and forgiveness and his grace in our lives. And can I confess to you very openly this morning, I didn't want to share my testimony with you this morning. Um, I, I don't think it's a particularly remarkable or exciting story. It's a story of a nerd boy who believed it, sorry, who understood it but didn't really believe it. Whoop-de-doo, you know. It's not a drug dealer or a... Uh, uh, you know, alcoholic or an axe murderer who came to know Christ. You know, what's so remarkable about that? And can I confess to you, and I, I'm sharing this in the hope that some of you may well relate to this too, and when we t touched on a bit with the Sam Chan piece. Um, I'm here, though, for two reasons. One, your pastor asks you to do something for church, you do it. <laughs> There's still a bit of that in me. And, and, and two, more fundamentally, no story that has been impacted by Christ is unremarkable. Not because of the story, but because of who Christ is. And can I share with you my, my favorite verse? It's 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 6, part of 19 to 20. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor, give, honor and give glory to God with your body. What a tremendous encouragement that is for us. Thanks for listening. Friends, uh, as you be aware, every transformation is an act of God's grace. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, uh, we're all, most of us are ordinary people who uh, needed to meet a loving saviour. And I remember as Sammy shared, uh, after the funeral for his mother and uh, many people here and uh, people who worked at the school where his mother worked, and we're at our, our Christian Thanksgiving service and we're just completely blown away by the message of grace and hope that is in a Christian service because of Jesus. And one woman said to me afterwards that I'd known through a swimming club years ago, I hadn't seen her, she said, now I understand why Sammy and the family have copes with joy in the midst of their grief because of what you guys believe. Friends, that's Christian testimony. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for your grace that saves us. Lord, thank you for the fact that we all have a story of transformation and forgiveness and fellowship. And Lord, help us to share our story with courage and conviction as you give us opportunities. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.